It's time for Thriller Thursdays here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. I'm a private eye. But you knew that. There are things in this life for which no amount of detached irony, mild shell shock, or repeated blows to the back of the head can properly prepare one. Events from the checkered career of even the most well-meaning private detective that are so entirely beyond the pale that the best thing to do with them is to type them up in triplicate, lock them in the bottom of your filing cabinet, then burn the office down and get drunk. We are no strangers to tripping this special brand of light fantastic together, you and I, but there are some cases that give even yours truly pause, as if this will finally be the one that pushes willing suspension of disbelief a bridge too far and makes the once adoring masses suspect that all of these ribald little tales of adventure might be nothing more than a fever dream of an overly repressed schoolmarm with multiple personalities. That is my first problem with relating to you the events of what began on the grey and grim afternoon in that grey and grimmest of months. My second problem, of course, is that I may have built it up a bit too much, and perhaps I ought to just tell you about the time that we found Mrs. DeLacy's cat Snickers for her instead. My third problem is that, upon review of the DeLacy case file, I seem to have just revealed all of the salient details in the course of that brief introduction, which brings me back to the subject of my original brief. My fourth problem is that I appear to have lost whatever momentum I had built up during my opening tirade, and will in the name of narrative expediency, fade out in favor of the opening of the grey-green door to reveal the entrance of Lord Simon Perseworthy, the famous explorer. Good day. I am Lord Simon Perseworthy. The famous explorer? The same. Really? Because I was kind of kidding. Won't you come in, Lord Perseworthy? I'm Miss Dixon. Please feel free to call me Trixie. This is my partner, Jack Justice, whom, as you may have already discerned, is an idiot. I'm standing right here. And we're all very proud of you, but you'd better sit down before somebody hangs a hat on you. Or better yet, why don't you get our guest a cup of coffee? Or would you prefer tea, your lordship? Don't write checks we can't cash, Kimosabe. Coffee will be fine, thank you, Miss Dixon. When in Rome, as they say. Do they? They do. I think you'll be pleased with this, sir. It's a blend of my own devising. Here you are. Do you have milk or sugar? We might, but these Romans don't do that. Oh, dear. Very well. Mm. Hmm? I'm sorry. I'm trying to tell if I should be pleased or insulted. It is a very American beverage, sir. It is brash, overly confident, and quite in love with itself beyond all reason. And yet, the net effect is entirely charming. Yeah, I still can't tell. You'll have to wait for the review in the Times, Mary. For Pete's sake, sit down and stop hovering. You'll make his lordship uncomfortable. I must say, Miss Dixon, you seem to be much more comfortable than most American girls with hereditary titles. She should be. She reads an appalling amount of Regency romances. Don't be stupid. Of course I don't. She barely has a single bodice that remains unripped. Well, I never. That's okay. She has enough of both of you. (laughs) 
Ow! What was that? I believe it was a stapler. You threw a stapler at my head. Yes, but only because I thought the letter opener wouldn't hurt enough. Perhaps I should come back later. Uh, you say that, but we both know you won't. Both of you sit down and behave yourselves. I have a paperweight and two souvenir ashtrays, and I'm not afraid to use them. Very well. I hate you. Excellent. Now, Lord Perseworthy, suppose that you begin at the beginning. What's that? Your lordship, did I just catch you undressing me with your eyes? <laughs> well, I, 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 I beg your pardon, young lady. They don't have girls like you, well, anywhere. An excellent dust jacket quote for the paperback edition, sir. But in the meantime... Yes, yes, I see your point. I find myself in a spot of bother and find myself in need of the services of competent professionals. Or, failing that, as it is already quite late in the afternoon... We will do in a pinch? That is my sincere hope, young lady. Uh, you see, I find myself in something of an embarrassing situation. An administrative conundrum, if you will. Uh, conundrums are a particular specialty, your lordship. Though I admit ours are generally less administrative and more dangerous and sleazy. Oh, not sleazy, surely. Risqué, then. Ah, the very thing. What just happened? I don't understand. Did the pair of you just make up? We were fighting? Honestly, I can't even tell anymore. Please carry on, sir. I have recently returned from a lengthy expedition in Egypt where I unearthed a number of minor treasures associated with the pharaoh Ankenaten, who was the predecessor and possibly the father of the famous boy king Tutankhamen. Well, I'm not a historian, but that sounds very exciting. As a matter of fact, it is. Chiefly pottery, some inscribed household goods, very little of immense intrinsic value, survived centuries of conquest and looting, of course. Of course. But of chief interest among the whole are three sets of mummified remains, sans sarcophagi, sadly. Two, I believe, to be court officials, and one likely a minor wife of Akhenaten. Just a minor wife. Sadly, yes. I had transported them to the Museum of Antiquities here in town, on the understanding of a sale. But while en route, the Museum Board of Directors had insisted upon third-party verification of the article's authenticity prior to taking possession. Well, that sounds reasonable, I guess. Reasonable, yes. Convenient, no. I am very shortly to depart of an expedition in search of the lost city of Shambhala, and my agreement with the museum was brokered in the expectation of a quick payment. Now, I am told that the experts will not arrive until Friday morning, and in the meantime, although my property is stored in the museum loading dock because they have not formally taken possession, the mummies are not covered by the museum's insurance. It is a most untenable situation. I stand to lose a small fortune, to say nothing of the expected financing for my expedition, should anything happen to them. Are these things really all that valuable? I mean, it was only a minor wife, after all. Too true, Mr. Justice, too true. But relics of Akhenaten's reign can be quite scarce, even by the standards of Egyptology. Together with his wife Nefertiti, he sought to bring about a number of religious reforms which were... Less than popular. Aren't they always? With the result that many monuments that would serve as a record of his reign today were destroyed or desecrated after his death. And that makes what you have found more valuable? It makes it rare. And that makes it valuable. As does the potential association with the young King Tut, as they call him. 
still a sensation, a superstar of archaeology, an exceedingly minor historical figure who has become famous because he was forgotten, his tomb lost and left unrooted. But while the parentage of that unfortunate young man remains uncertain, it certainly might have involved Akhenaten. And if it did, then it is just possible that the mother in question might be sitting in a crate on the loading dock at the museum right now. Isn't that rather a lot of ifs? For science, yes, my dear, it is. I am not an archaeologist. I am an explorer. My searches in the desert were a calculated risk to fund my travels, and the museum would certainly benefit from the find. They are, let's not forget, tourist attractions with bills to pay. Are you certain that you're not a hard-boiled detective? That's a little cynical for a famous explorer. Oh, I don't mean to be, sir, but you know how it goes. A curator dresses up an exhibit with a title like The Woman Who Might Have Been Tutankhamun's Mother. Then the board has it shortened to King Tut's Mother. And then the marketing department replaces the question mark with two exclamation points and sends out a press release. Et voila! You have a minor sensation, and the museum finishes the fiscal in the black for a change. It is a beautiful thing. But somebody didn't think so. Or am I wrong? The board of directors felt that an independent verification might put their minds at ease. I have no objections whatsoever to the idea, apart from the fact that it is not at all what we discussed. But one must not be too rigid. I feel that with yourself and Miss Justice standing guard over my property... Wait, what? That's what all this is about? But of course. You didn't imagine that I wished to employ you to solve the mystery of Dutton Garman's parentage, did you? Mm, that's too bad, because I'm pretty sure that the butler did it. Jack? Yes? Shut up. Ah, abuse. Yes. Precisely what is it you wish us to do, Lord Purseworthy? It is now Wednesday afternoon. I shall require one or more of you to be on guard in the museum loading dock at all times between now and the time that the third-party expert arrives from Chicago on Friday morning. And the museum is fine with this arrangement? They are less than enthusiastic, but have agreed, provided I can obtain the services of someone trustworthy and properly credentialed. By which they mean... Possessing a valid detective's license in good standing was one of the options that I was offered. Hmm, this is something of a marathon engagement, sir. When we say thirty-nine ninety-five a day, we generally have a more conventional workday in mind. I will pay you $300 upon the completion of the job. I was thinking more along the lines of $150 now, and the rest upon the arrival of your inspector from the city with the big shoulders. That is acceptable to me. There may be a certain amount of shift work involved, sir. We are not at our best, acting entirely without sleep. That will do, but I am afraid there can be no coming or going between the hours of 9 p.m. and 7 a.m. Museum policy. Lord Persworthy, the pharaoh's mummy has found herself a royal guard. And so it was that hasty preparations were made. Not one... Not two, but four thermoses of coffee were prepared in as hasty a fashion as craftsmanship would allow, while yours truly was left to such diverse and petty details as preparing our client's contract, providing him a receipt for his deposit, and running out to Vince's Deli for a supply of... well, supplies. Wednesday evening came and went without much in the way of drama. It was not exactly true that we were placed on a loading dock, but it wasn't exactly false either. 
we were in a corner of a large open storage area surrounded by pallets of cleaning supplies around the corner from the large receiving doors near the chutes to the dumpster. To say that it was quiet was an insult to church mice everywhere. One could occasionally sense the museum security staff lingering for an opportunity to watch over yours truly instead of the ancient treasures of many lands, but Square Jaw was a significant third wheel, and Miss Dixon remained tragically unguarded for most of the evening. When 7 a.m. came, I made a brief run to recaffeinate Jack and headed home for a few hours' rest. I returned at two and spelled off my deeply bored partner, who returned shortly before the museum was locked down for the night, looking more like a forgotten raincoat that's been run over by a bus than he did when he left. Which is saying something. I thought you were supposed to sleep. I thought so, too. And yet you look like death on a saltine. What happened? You don't want to hear about it. If I'm going to have to deal with no sleep justice until the dawn's early light, I think I deserve an explanation. Hmm. Dot got home right about when I did, and she had other much better ideas. You're right. I don't want to hear about it. In my defense, they seemed like perfectly reasonable ideas at the time. You've been married for quite some time now. You still do that? You have the strangest ideas sometimes. Wait. You were gone for seven hours, even allowing for travel time. She had lots and lots of much better ideas. No, stop right there. If I know any more, I'll have to bleach my brain. Fine with me. I don't kiss and tell. See, don't even say the word kiss. You'll just ruin it for me. Tell me you brought food. I brought food. In fact, I brought takeout Chinese. That's kind of a lot of vegetables for a steakout, isn't it? Yes, but many of them have been deep fried. Plus, I like the little boxes. I dislike sharing the little boxes. Good hygiene makes good friends. And that is why I packed a plate for you. And a fork, because your chopstick skills are lamentable. My chopstick skills are fine. Also, shut up. Also, where is this food? I've already set the table. This way. Aw, you made a little picnic. That's actually not horrifically stupid. I praise indeed. Except you've used a crate with a dead body in it as a table. What, is it too soon? She's been dead for thousands of years. And also, why, when we are supposed to be guarding this crate, was I able to set up this sumptuous repast upon it without you noticing at all? Ah, that. Yes, that. I was checking in with security. Mm, Lucky security. Let's eat. Wait, don't we have chairs? What do you need a chair for? This crate is solid as a rock. Um, Jack? Does this sound, uh... Hold that thought. They all sound empty. Why do they all sound empty? Are they going to sound less empty in ten minutes? I don't see how they could. Then let's eat. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. In many ways, this was not good. In fact, it might even be suggested that this was, in fact, quite bad. Everything pointed to several Egyptian mummies having been stolen right out from under our noses, and I say that only because that is... Well, that is entirely what happened. That is bad enough. But as wiser men than I have remarked, a mistake is only as bad as the number of people who notice it, which made this very much worse than you could possibly believe. As quiet as we might well try to keep this, there was no doubt that someone in museum security would shortly pass this nugget along to the local media, who would alert the national news desk, who would call up some foreign correspondents that they knew, who would probably drag Larry, Moe, and Shemp along for good measure because those guys are always fun at a party. And why would this exceptionally minor mystery deserve so much attention, dear friends? 
because either the embalmed undead were rising from the grave to throw off the cruel shackles of their museum overlords, or the world's stupidest detectives had just lost King Tut's mama. Truth be damned, that was how it was going to play. The museum would go as far out of their way as possible to hang us out to dry, and why shouldn't they? The last thing they would want is anyone to stop and think about how every possible suspect must surely be on their own security staff, and the easiest possible way to distract the hordes of story-hungry brainsuckers who were about to descend upon us would be to serve up the heads of the girl detective and myself on an antique silver platter. In just a few hours, our goose was going to be well and truly cooked, and like it or not, there was only one man who could save us now. So let me get this straight. Lieutenant Sabian, please. No, no. Let me bask in the warming glow of this brilliant detective-type work. It's the only way I'll learn, you know. Listen, Uncle Milty, if we could just... So the corpses you were allegedly guarding at the time of the crime in question were, what would you say, 3,000-year-old, four... Perhaps somewhere in the vastness between... Is a fresher corpse less likely to slip off of its own accord, Sabian? Do not spoil my fun. I won't tell you again. How is this fun? This is a bona fide mystery. This is exactly the kind of thing that people assume that detectives and policemen do all day and never actually get to do. When you put it that way, you know how it sounds? How? Fun. It sounds fun. You know what would make this even more fun? I hesitate to ask. If there were shortly to be a small assembly of newspaper men who were all hungry to write about the inept boobs who were guarding the crates when the very, very dead corpses disappeared for no reason at all! <laughs> Don't have to enjoy this so much. Oh, but I do! Because they aren't wrong. Sabian, I don't think... The two of you were here all night and you never left this room. That's biologically unlikely given the volume of coffee consumed. But there was always at least one of us here and we were never alone for more than a few minutes. Ah. What was the volume of coffee consumed? This is your line of questioning? It is. Four thermoses. Four thermoses. Have you met Jack? But four... Why four? It was all I had laying around the office. How much of it was left when Dixon went to get some shut-eye at seven? I repeat, have you met Jack? So none. In fact, I had to make a run to the coffee shop at the end of the street to tide him through. And that did the trick, did it? It took four thermoses to keep him alive and vertical overnight, but he made it until the afternoon with a single large java. Well, yes, he... Hey! What? What? How many trips down the street did you make on your own, Justice? I admit I have a problem. Jack! What? You had one simple job. It was too simple. I'm a detective, not a store mannequin. I can't just stand there. You idiot! Don't be too hard on him, Dixon. He isn't the only one. What are you talking about? You're here all afternoon. All by your lonesome, with nothing to distract you except for an entire staff of strapping young security guards. I'll have you know that the guards don't even come in this room. It isn't on any of their patrols. And how do you know where their patrols are? I found out when I was... Yes? Making a certain amount of small talk. Oh, for God's sake, Trixie. Oh, it's just a hobby. I don't have a problem. I can stop whenever I like. I just don't like 
Stop looking at me like that. And how many members of the museum security staff did you make a certain amount of small talk with, bearing in mind that I have officers interviewing every single one of them right now? None. Six. What? It isn't like that. It was just... It's like a job interview, isn't it? You don't just hire the first applicant that comes along. Sometimes you have to see a lot of people for the position or positions that you have in mind. I don't believe this. See, it isn't going to be real hard for the museum to fit you two with a pair of red noses and oversized squeaky shoes. He's calling us clowns. Probably true, but he still shouldn't say it. I hate clowns. Never dated one? Well, let's not go crazy. So you're enjoying this, are you, Sabian? (laughs) I'm only human! (laughs) Because you know this is only act one. That's right! Wait, what is... They'll all start off having a laugh at the gumshoe with the crippling caffeine deficiency and the overstimulated girl detective. Not overstimulated, just very, very stimulated. I can stop whenever I want. Shut up a minute, hot pants. That's day one of the case of the missing mummy. Is that the title now? It will be, and you know it will be. Half the papers will write it as a farce, half will write it as an occult mystery. Maybe they'll get two days out of it, maybe three. (laughs) But the more interest they drum up, the more demand they create. The more people want closure on this sordid little anecdote. Oh, I see where this is going. Oh, yeah? Enlighten me. The mummies didn't just walk away, Sabian. They were taken. By who? To where? These are the questions that are going to have to be answered. And the papers aren't going to keep calling Dummy and me, because we're off the case. Oh, police are baffled at this time. Lieutenant Sabian is still unable to cast any light on the matter of the purloined pharaoh. Inaccurate, but crudely alliterative. So it's a virtual certainty. Hey, now, this isn't funny. Well, it's a little bit funny. No, this is going to be a major league headache for me, for the whole department. I bet the mayor calls him. I bet the mayor calls him every day. Maybe he even comes down to yell at him in person. Ever notice how the mayor spits when he yells? Enough! Enough! We gotta find those dinguses before this gets out of hand. Excellent news. Except that it kind of takes us back to step one, where we had no ideas involving step two. Right, that. Right, right, that. Okay. Okay, so it has to be someone on the security staff. I don't think so. Don't get sentimental about your pets, Dixon. They had means, motive, and opportunity. No, they had means and opportunity, which are kind of the same thing, really. How are they... What? That's ridiculous. You can't really say that somebody has the opportunity to commit a crime if that opportunity occurs outside of their ability to perform said crime, can you? I don't want to talk about this! Hang on, Sabian. These are the tools of our trade we're discussing here. This is important. Ah, Christmas. Yes? Okay, you're right. That's it! That was the discussion! Well, when she's right, she's right. It, it doesn't happen often. Drop dead, ape. We have an actual situation here. I am trying to do some police work. Sorry. All right. Go ahead. Well, now I can't remember where I was. I think you left off at once upon a time. You were roping in the security staff. I thought that was your job. Well, that is just not the worst idea you've ever had, actually. Means, motive, and opportunity. And we're back. No, Sabian, not motive. There's no motive here. These... Fingerses are valuable, yeah. They're valuable, but a lot less valuable than stuff these guys guard every single day. Oh, but that stuff belongs to the museum they work for. Who is still going to fire them if they steal Lord Autumnbottom's knickknacks out of the storage room? Besides, why leave the pottery and take the corpses? And it's not like you can take these things down to the pawn shop to hawk them. Another museum isn't going to buy a hot mummy off some guy on the street. 
So what are you telling me? There's no reason for anyone to steal these three mummies? That's right. Oh, hello, step one. Nice to see you again. Right. Right. This stinks. Like it or not, these things aren't worth anything to anybody but the museum, the academic community, and Lord Parsworthy. And his insurance company. No, he didn't have insurance. He wasn't covered. What are you talking about? By the museum's policy, when they didn't take possession. We were his insurance. That's why we're here protecting the crates. When you were saying those words, did they sound stupid to you too? Sabian, what are you getting? Of course he had insurance! Everybody has insurance! Especially in a place like this! No, Sabian, I'm telling no, you... No, I'm telling you! I just talked with the head man on security before I came in here! David! Yeah, I... David is too old for you. I'm just saying. Yes, I noticed, but he's very sweet. Focus. They brought the crates in on the loading dock. The museum director gave Lord such and such the news about the expert from Chicago coming in on Friday morning, and they thrashed out the particulars with an insurance man on the phone while the crew moved the crates in here with the cleaning stuff. Then he came to see us. Then he came to see you. Detectives on the job was a condition of the policy. The museum men couldn't be responsible. Because they hadn't taken possession. Yeah, okay. About that. Why did that happen exactly? Somebody on the museum board of directors. Yeah, that's what David said too. Somebody on the museum board did what? Asked how come this guy who was an explorer, remember, not an Egyptologist or an archaeologist, how come this guy was able to not only find these mummies, but identify them positively with a possible link to the biggest box office sensation in the whole entire history of museums ever? It's a pretty tenuous link. Just tenuous enough to be believable. Except maybe not really. Maybe somebody who knows a little better and doesn't have visions of sugar plums dancing in his head thinks to ask, how come we're paying this guy off so fast so he can beat it and go looking for Shangri-La? It was Shambhala. They're actually the same place. You see, in the Buddhist tradition... Shut up, shut up, shut up. What's his problem? I think he's having a thought. You want a motive? Here's a motive. Those mummies are fakes. Are you fake a mummy? Well, whatever. They're real mummies, maybe, but they're not who they're supposed to be. They're nobody. Maybe they aren't even old at all. How do I know? Lord pulls a fast one, finds some pottery and relics, which are still here, you'll notice, and packages them up with three unrelated corpses to finance his trip to Banana Land. Banana Land? There's no bananas. It's in Tibet or something. I don't care, Swami. I don't care. That's Hindu. Yes, fine, good. He gets here and finds not a large cashier's check, but the impending visit of an actual Egyptologist from the Midwest, which seems odd to me, but let's just go with it. He's looking for a way out, so he stalls with the insurance company while his crates are moved in here, a largish room full of cleaning stuff where security never really goes. You think he stole his own mummies? It makes a certain amount of sense. It does not either! How would he get them out of here? He couldn't. They must still be here. Except he wouldn't want them found on Friday morning, ten minutes after the crates were finally opened. But he didn't expect us to open them tonight. So what happens between now and then? The, the garbage, garbage shoots. shoots. The what? The garbage shoots. They lead to a dumpster out back. How do you know? Because there's a sign right here. Cleaning staff. Dumpster is picked up Fridays at 6 a.m. So by the time the missing mummies are noticed, the fakes are at least three hours away in a landfill somewhere. And no one thinks about that because they're assuming these very valuable saltines have been stolen. And the insurance company blames the very incompetent boobs who were supposed to be guarding the crates properly, which would have happened even if you were less incompetent and had done a proper job. Hooray! Slack wins again. What hooray! You haven't proved a thing! No, 
but if someone follows this garbage chute to its logical conclusion... And if that someone climbs in and roots around... I bet that someone will find not one but three desiccated corpses of very little value. I know just the man for the job. Oh, Nelson! Nelson! And that was how it went. And when the swarms of reporters descended like locusts, it was the fallen hero and the inept crime which was recorded for posterity, and not the private investigators with the attention span problems, which were never actually brought up. In fact, we came out looking quite good for thwarting Perseworthy's plan. And that, in all of its stupidity, is the truth, my friends. And I don't much care if you believe it or not. Blackjack Justice, Episode 63, My Heart Belongs to Mummy, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Ryan Saro and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Sweet Sue has been tied to the railroad tracks. Will our heroes save her? Well, of course, the hero always prevails on Thriller Thursdays. I'm John Bell, the hero that rarely prevails in Bells in the Bat Free, the comedy show you can hear every Friday Follies and a bunch of Sunday showcases. Oops, looks like the hero may have been a tad late there.